Welcome to our newest adventure for first responder wellness. No one fights alone. In-depth conversations about mental health and culture in the first responder space. We're joined by your co-hosts, Austin Pedersen and Brad Shepard. Austin, had another big morning this morning, didn't you? Come sliding into home plate, ready to tune up another podcast, huh? Yeah, I love it, man. So I, I first off, you and I have talked about this a bunch, but I feel like we haven't focused enough on the fireside for this podcast. For, for a long time, we were having a lot of law enforcement guests and things like that. And you know, that was part of the project I was doing this morning is we've got a cool little thing going where um, a therapist is running a new podcast that's not attached to this at all, but it's with two firefighter wives, wives of firefighters, and they're going to talk about what it's like to, to be on the other side of that and to be in a relationship with somebody who has been in the fire service, both of them for over 30 years, twin brothers, and it's the two wives. So it's a cool little story, and they're going to just talk about how to keep the marriage together. You know, both of their uh, husbands have been to treatment, so they've experienced both sides you know, what it's like to be on the other side. So I'm really excited for that project. And and when it does come out, we'll announce it on here and, and do our little promotion and everything. But it's a cool little thing. You know, a couple of little feedback items that I've gotten uh, is, and which I'm, I'm, we're both working hard to, to vet those out and find, but it's the relationship piece. People were really interested and you really go back to uh, Scott and Liz. I mean, that, that, that pinpricked uh, some of the the people saying, Hey, I'd, I'd like to hear a little more. So stay tuned. If you're listening to this, stay tuned. We got some, uh, really cool people, uh, on the lineup as well as, you know, that's, that's fascinating. But to your point, you know, we're all, we're all heroes. We're all wearing capes, but firefighters have their own niche in this, you know, they have their own perspectives. They have their own challenges that are separate than, than the law enforcement game. And, I'm really excited to uh, to dive into some some of the firefighter challenges and their viewpoints and their perspectives and you know and again today we got an amazing dude coming on today and I'll just introduce him Matty Fiorenza great friend uh, retired firefighter out of Anaheim California uh, Anaheim uh, Fire Department Matty welcome to the show man yeah thank you guys this is amazing. I love it. So glad to have you on. You and I go back a ways. We uh, we met a few years ago, and uh, man, it hasn't been that long ago. I was out in L.A. and we got to go have lunch. You took me to some uh, beachside place down in uh, Long Beach. That was uh, thanks for dinner. Yeah, of course. Yeah, we just we do a bougie out here in California. Bro. Yes, you do. <laughs> Except for traffic, you're fucking traffic. You can't go anywhere fast. What the you got to get a bougie car so you can. No, yeah. <laughs> you got you to get an EV vehicle. Oh, bro. Don't Back even get me started. <laughs> That's a whole different podcast. Yeah. Imagine Brad driving a Tesla. He'd probably be the dude falling asleep while it's auto. I would be right. asleep. Yeah. Hey, we just had, uh, they're giving me shit, Matty, because we were down in uh, uh, Phoenix and had to, had to run down to Tucson. Well, first off. I may have gotten us a little bit delayed uh, and lost. So I had to make up a little time and come to find out Austin and uh, Rob were a little nervous with my driving on make it up time. I'm a trooper, man. I know how to make it. Wait, how did you get lost with all the uh, iPhones and GPS, bro? Well, (laughs) it wasn't that I got lost. I I was talking. Got I, it. I was engaged in a great conversation with Austin. And next thing you know, I look up and I'm like, and Austin, but he, he's so gracious in this, but he was fucking pissed because <laughs> it put, it put us behind, um, 
I don't know what Austin, 45 minutes, maybe he drove 45 yep. minutes, the exact opposite way. Like, <laughs> oh, really? 45. yeah, shocking. Brad was talking and uh, not paying attention and <laughs> fuck, we're 45 minutes away. We're supposed to be at this resource fair running a booth and here and we are. You uh, might've avoided an accident or something. Who knows? Maybe the universe is working towards Brad's talking. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's hilarious. Well, Maddie, let's uh, let's dive into this a little bit. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, who Maddie is. Where where did you grow up before you were uh, you know hero firefighter? What what was uh, Maddie Fearns before? I was born in Riverside, California. My dad was a uh, Orange County Sheriff Sergeant, uh, Medal of Valor Marine, Vietnam vet. And uh, my mom was a stay-at-home mom. It was just an Irish, Italian, Catholic family, you know. Uh, and uh, but just like you know, with with uh, doing the job and the PTS that my dad had, which wasn't identified back then, right? Like it just he was kind of a scary guy. And my mom, and dad got divorced um, when I was very young, so I was actually raised by my step dad who was just a uh just a contractor hard-working guy you know and uh so we moved around a lot i grew up in some pretty rough neighborhoods um growing up i went to catholic school so i got to stay in the same school and i pretty much wore a uniform you know my whole life which is funny i look back on it now but, um so uh you know a lot of adversity in my childhood you know it wasn't all bad but i uh I got bullied a lot. I was, I had to you know, defend myself. I didn't really have a, a lot of good things going on at home. So, um, so I really just was kind of lost for a long time as a kid. And, you know, I found drugs and alcohol at a young age. And, you know, with, with that came friends and I was comfortable in my own skin and all that good stuff. So uh, I actually wanted to be a rock star. <laughs> you look like a rock star. Right? Yeah, bro. So um, I was in a punk rock band in high school, and I thought, man, this is great. I'm just going to live like Axl Rose. And uh, and so I just I ran with some, some tough crowds. I stayed in school. I, you know, I, just, um, I did graduate from high school, went to the University of Laverne for a year, and uh, I met a girl whose mom was a purchasing agent for the Forest Service. And she was always talking about base camp and fire camp. And, and uh, you know, I, I was an explorer for the, sh- for the uh, San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department uh, for a little while. Because, you know, as much as I was at odds with my dad, I still wanted to be of service. You know, we're, we're called to do these jobs. It's, it's the family business. You know, it's in the blood. So, um, but I just, I don't know. I, it just wasn't for me at the time. And, and so uh, I was looking for something to do. I was going, going to four-year university. And I was like, you know what? There's, there might be something to this fire service thing. So um, we went up to King City, California, after a, uh, a campaign fire up there. And um, my uh, my girlfriend at the time, she became my wife. Her mom was like, we got to come up here. You got to meet these guys. So just like volunteer fire department up in King City, like had a barbecue at the fire, at the fire station and just salt of the earth guys. Like they all had jobs doing other stuff, but they had their pagers and, you know, I hats off to guys who do these careers for free. I mean, I have so much, so much respect for volunteers across the country. Like it, it just warms my heart, but just 
it was great. And I remember sitting on the, I went on the op floor and I sat on the engine and I was like, I sat there for like an hour, like by the pump panel of this, on this rig. And I was like, dude, this is what I want to do. Like, I, this is great. Like, how come I didn't think of this? You know, I just, I had it, I just had a breakthrough and, and, um, and then I worked my ass off for about, it took me cause I was working a full-time job. I was married. I had, um, I had a mortgage and so I had to take a class at night, you know, I would work all day for this engineering company and then I would take a class at, I would actually go to the gym, I'd work out and then I'd go take one or two classes at the, you know, I, I left the four year college to go to a two year college to get a fire science degree. So it took me about four years to get through all the classes and then I quit this job and, um, which was a big step, you know, like to go to the fire academy and for us out here, to, you got to get your firefighter one cert through the basic fire academy before you can even apply for a lot of these jobs. And there's no guarantee that you'll get hired, you know. So I just did it. My wife worked two jobs while I was out climbing ladders and squirting water and having a good old time in the, in the fire academy. And and uh, I got through that. And then I worked on. I wanted to be a medic. That was like one of my one of my goals. I just liked that part of the job. Um, so. I, you know, for the fire service, at least out here in California, either you get your fire science degree and you get your academy under the, under your belt and you go work for the forest service or you, you go on a hand crew and work wildland fires or you work on an ambulance. So you, those are the kind of the two ways of getting experience and kind of a foot in the door. And so I chose the ambulance route. I worked for care ambulance, uh, for eight months I worked for them, you know, just, Getting, getting to know, uh, I worked in the city of Buena Park with, uh, there's three Orange County Fire Authority stations in Buena Park, California, and we were responsible for the ambulance for the whole city. And I got mentored by, uh, by a captain by the name of Jeff Adams. Um, and he was a great guy. He just took me under his wing and, and he, you know, he taught me what it was like to be a good, a good fireman and a good medic just by watching him. You know, I could partake in a lot of the things, but he, he was just, he was such a great mentor, just a kick-ass, just, the guy was so awesome. Like to this day, I've got so much respect for that man. As a matter of fact, when I graduated or when I got hired in Anaheim, he gave me a Spyderco knife that I, that he had engraved that I carried with me every single day I was on the job, which is super cool. So, um, uh, but yeah, I just, um, I got hired. I took like 50 tests. You know, I went to Arizona, um, Northern California, New Mexico, Vegas. Like I took so many tests, you know, you're just in this crew of guys you go through, through the basic academy with, and you just kind of travel around together, um, trying to get hired, you know, it just becomes a career really just trying to get the career. And so I think from bell to bell, I got, I got hired with the city of Anaheim, um, with 12 guys, uh, that was actually Disneyland expanded uh, the park into the California adventure. And so because so many, um, so much of the local resources were in the park running calls at Disneyland, the city came up with an agreement with the, with Disneyland that, Hey, if you're going to expand the park and there are going to be more people in this area, then you'll, we need you to essentially, you know, pay us to have, um, four paramedics respond into the resort area. 
so that they can handle the calls. And then if there's a fire or whatever, you'll get an engine. But so they started the Disney program and uh, because of the Disney program, it's so funny. I, you know, I just, this just struck me. We'll talk about it, but it was bookends to my career um, because I, the Disney program allowed them to hire 12 guys. I got picked up and then I ended my career working at the Disney station, which is just thought of about that right now. Um, and I, as a matter of fact, I met my wife there. So I, I've, uh, just like many first responders, I, you know, uh, been married a couple of times, you know, we, we don't have the best track record when it comes to relationships. Um, but, uh, my wife now, Elizabeth was, uh, she was a security manager at Disneyland and we met on a call. We were friends for a long time before we started. So, um, how old were you when you start, like, like give us a time frame here, age wise, you're jumping on the Anaheim fire. How old were you then? So I was 25, 25 years old. I didn't, I didn't work the Disney station until, yeah, I was, I was, I dove right into like the part of uh, Anaheim that Disney doesn't put in the brochures. <laughs> so, so were you having a good time? I mean, first you're, you're 25 years old, you're living your dream. What's, what's going on in uh, Matty Fiorenza's brain then? Yeah, it's just a hard charging, you know, to put myself on the, on the busiest side of town. I want to learn everything I can about the job. I want to be up all night. I want to be running calls. I want to be in the shit. You know, I, I just wanted to learn everything I could. And I wanted to be an aggressive, like Anaheim had a, had a um, reputation and they still do for having like really aggressive um, tip of the spear when it comes to what's out there in the firefighting. And even like with their, our medics were very um, just like, if we show up on scene, you do your assessment and you start treating the patient and you get the patient rolling towards, towards the hospital. Like it, everything is just very, Anaheim's just very forward thinking, you know, or other departments, it was like, stay on scene, do this treatment, do that treatment. And we're, and I'm just like, let's go. Like we got to get this patient to the hospital. That's where they need to be. And I freaking love that. You know what I mean? It just, it made you a better medic. It made you a better firefighter to like, be like, Hey, look, if you know, this is how you sit on a hose line when you're gearing up to go in the fire. So someone doesn't take it from you. And if you see some, a hose line sitting next to someone from another department, you grab that thing and you go in, you know what I mean? And that's, that's, we were hard charging like that. And that's, I love that because it was part of my personality. My mentors taught me that. So that's what was going on. You know, I had a, um, after my first son, Logan, was born uh, two weeks before my six-month test. So on the fire department, you have uh, two tests, one at six months and one at a year to show that you're, uh, that you're proficient in all the, and you got to learn everything, right? You have classes and all that stuff. So uh, and you're on probation. So you're an at-will employee for one year. They can fire you at any time. And, you know, so that's super stressful um, in itself. But I had a son. Um, and right after I got on probation, uh, my wife at the time handed me the six-month-old Logan and said, hey, I put everything on hold for your career. Here's Logan. The breast milk's in the fridge. Figure it out. You know? And uh, so she went off to nursing school and and I'd come home after 72 hours, 120, just up all night. And she'd go, here's, here's the baby. See ya. So, uh, you know, I, it was hard. Um, but I didn't, back then I was just like, you know, just doing it, just doing it. But looking back now, it was, that was really tough, man. I wish I would have had, um, more skills, you know, more of the behavioral health, mental health skills that we're teaching now we're getting better at teaching because I wasn't present man you know what I mean I was just 
even when I was with them for as much as we're away from our kids do, you know, doing the chosen career. Um, I just, when I was with them, I wasn't even present most of the time. I was thinking about yesterday or tomorrow or this, that, and, and, you know, just, no, just having the awareness now that, that the stress of the job changes the makeup of your brain and PTS is really just a brain injury from all the chemical dumps. And, and, um, and so, you know, I went back to the old coping skills after a while and it's in the culture, man, you know, like, you have a bad call, you go have a beer, you know, and, and you suck it up and you rub some dirt on it. This is what we do. And, you know, it's a lot of this mental health, behavioral health stuff wasn't, wasn't part of the, uh, wasn't part of the jam, you know, and that's why I'm so passionate about it now and have really dedicated my life at this point to being an advocate uh, for first responder, um, like behavioral health and overall mental health wellness and, and uh, teaching it in all different forms and being in, involved in all kinds of different programs and just trying to develop my own stuff and because there's a need and, um, and there's a lot of guys out there that need help, man. This suicide epidemic is, it's crushing, you know, and I've been there. So, yeah. Hey, tell us a little bit about, cause we're going into this. Tell us a little about, was there a department therapist? Did you guys have CISM training? Like what was going on at the beginning of your career? Was there any conversation at all involving mental health or was it just like that dark humor? Fuck it, suck it up, move on. Let's, let's go to the next call. Yeah. I, you know, there was no, they didn't talk about it. There was no education around any of this stuff. And, and I just, they just didn't know, you know, and what they did know, I think it was just, uh, it was still a lot of stigma attached to it and a lot of shame and all that shit, you know? So, but I'll tell you in Anaheim, we did have, we had critical incident stress debriefings. We didn't do them as often as we do now, but we had a really core group of, of guys and our nurse our nurse educator at the time, she was like a mama bear for our department. Uh, her name was Denise, Denise Mitchell. And um, she was the nurse educator, the coordinator for all the paramedics, but she ran the debriefs. And we had a couple guys on the department that were like really spiritually fit. You know, they were leaders in, in that realm. So these guys were, we didn't necessarily have a quote unquote peer support team, but we did have, you know, this group of guys that would, um, along with Denise, that if there was a really bad call that a lot of us were involved in, they would have these debriefs, you know? So we had that, but they didn't like say that, you know what I mean? I was never educated on what it was. It was just like, I remember the first call where we actually had one of those and, um, and they just said, Hey, we're going down to city hall. They're taking us out of service to go talk about this thing. And, and I, you know, the call was gnarly it's one of the ones that stay stuck with me to this day. I mean, and I was like rel relatively new. I think I was like, I was uh, still at station four. So I was probably two, three years on the job before I experienced one of these things. And, and as far as like, um, and I remember going, you know, going to that thing and then watching, like hearing, cause it's the Mitchell model, which we're all, we all, most of us pra practice now. Right. And, um, and so going through each, and listening to each account of this call and then watching like a couple of captains like cry, you know what I mean? Like it makes me want to cry today thinking about it. Like I was like, Whoa. Um, and I, you know, I got a little emotional also. And, uh, but it, 
it was and to be completely transparent and honest it was super uncomfortable because he just didn't it just wasn't talked about it wasn't you know because it was like the opposite the culture was the opposite so to see that um it felt a little weird you know and i don't know if i think i'm not sure if i felt better afterwards back then um but i was definitely like oh i don't want to as a you know my childhood i was like I don't want to show any emotion. Like, I don't want to be that guy crying or whatever, you know? So, um, and as far as therapists go, like, you know, we had a, we had an EAP that, that the rest of this, you know, the city employees went to, and I had a really bad experience uh, with that EAP and what they weren't culturally competent at all. And, and, uh, and the only, you know, the only therapist we saw was the, the one that did our, um, pre-employment screenings. And like I've said before, a lot of other places, um, that's once you get past your, your psych test to get the job, um, that's the only thing, like you're just stoked and you never want to sit in front of another therapist again, right? Cause that's a person that can say you're not fit for duty. There's a lot of, there's a lot of information there to kind of chase out. I'd love to spend some time on, on this last little portion of our conversation, but I'll start, I'm going to circle back with, uh, sitting in that CNN, CISM debrief. Uh, I can remember the same. My first debrief was it, it, it was no joke, man. It was, it was heavy. It was harsh. We'd lost somebody and I was pretty young and a couple of the older dudes, you know, were, were really getting in the feels. I mean, they were really, it was impacting them. And I remember thinking, wow, that, that, and, and I'm and it was similar to what you just described there. I don't know that I left out of there better. Uh, but I left out of there knowing that I wasn't alone. Um, you know, that, that was something that was at least, uh, you know, maybe, maybe arguably better. Um, but it, 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 it hit me pretty heavy, but, uh, you know, again, I think it's important. We, we toss around culturally competent on this show a lot. And I, as I'm sitting here listening, you talk about it, I think it's important to note that, that what we're talking about with cultural competency is, is somebody outside of our culture knowing and understanding the inside of our culture. That's what we're talking about, whether it's a therapist or a chaplain or a, a debriefer or, you know, whoever. So I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up, but let me just say this. Let me just say this too, real quick. They will never fucking completely know. They will never fucking completely no. know. So I no. just want to, I just wanted to, to add that in there because they won't. And as much as they're passionate about it and want to be a part of it until you live it, breathe it and smell the death of it, you're just not, 100%. It's, it's not there. And no matter, most of the, you know, rare are the ride alongs that will really put you in that climate to really know and understand. But most of the time they're not, and, no, for you know, sure. kudos and, to them for trying. Yeah. And I, I didn't mean to spin that into a negative. I just, and cause a lot, you know, a lot of them, a lot of us are retiring and getting our, our, uh, you know, therapy licenses and stuff like that. And that's great. Now that's somebody I can I can really get behind because they've done the job. Well, can I jump in right there? In not being a first responder and also working in treatment, it is the first thing that I got trained on is when you're talking to somebody that's looking for help or whatever it may be, don't ever say I understand you because it's it's not a fact, right? Like you can say something along the lines of like, man, that's really tough, and you know I can't imagine that or whatever it is. But the minute that I, as a non-first responder, say, I totally get what you're saying, man. I can, I can feel it. And you lose all trust because that's exactly what you're talking about. 
like people are willing to speak with me because they know that I'm attempting to help them in whatever way I can. But the minute I try and be a part of it too deeply is you lose all trust. And so I, I, I do agree with you, Maddie. It's like, I, I will never understand and I will never claim to. And that's, I think why, you know, people don't say that I'm just full of shit, I guess. I don't know. But it's not, it's not just solely to the first responder culture either. I mean, airline pilots, uh, emergency room doc. I mean, these, these groups until you've, until you've waded through their suck, I mean, each of those individual, uh, you know, iron steel worker doesn't matter. Uh, but the, you know, obviously our, uh, you know, our podcast here is relevant to the first responder community and that's what we're talking about. So we're passionate about that. So I think, I just think it's important to kind of detail out for that. Um, you know, maybe there's some people listening to this that like the fuck is cultural competency. I think it's, it, it is important to know because when you go start shopping around for, uh, a therapist or somebody who can help you, it's important that you have that cultural competency. So, yeah, let's, let's circle back to, to a little bit more of your career, Maddie. Um, so in, within your career at some point, uh, you know, you're, you're starting, you're, you're living out your dream. You're having a great time. You're, you know, this is what you, you've got the hero cape on. You're having, you're having a blast. Uh, at what point, uh, maybe did you start seeing challenges and did you start seeing it impact you negatively? Are, are you, are you aware of this or one day you woke up and the wheels had come off? Yeah. Well, I mean, looking back in hindsight, you know, I could see the progression of signs and symptoms of PTS. Um, but at the time, no, it's like, it's like putting the frog in the cold water and then slowly turning up the heat until it's, boils itself you know that's i think that's the greatest you know analogy because um it shows up in not losing interest in the things you love doing you know wanting not to be spend time with your family um isolation uh anger you know those just just be negative all the time you know and that's it's just and it's so many different things right it's like the trauma, the lack of sleep, the unhealthy coping skills. Um, and, and those for me, all that stuff eventually just got me in trouble. You know, um, all the dissociated behaviors because I had horrible coping skills. Are you talking like true, true formal discipline? Are you talking like you were having trouble with the, no. age of, okay. So you're talking about, no, not, I never really, through all my stuff, I really, I mean, I never really formally got disciplined. Um, I got talked to a lot, you know, but I, I, you know, as far as, as far as, uh, the, the department itself and the men and women in the Anaheim fire department, I got a shit ton of support, a lot of support. Um, but outside that, um, which is what we're struggling with today is, is these, you know, the governing bodies, the, the municipalities, the risk managers and the, you know, you become a liability. And, and I didn't like, that's sad. That, that has to change. And that's a whole different subject. I'll go down that rabbit hole maybe later if you want to talk about that. But like, we need to get together on the same page with, with the folks that are making decisions and, 
and when it comes to things like work comp and IOD and, you know, IA, we call it. And, and, um, and that's when you really start feeling like, man, I thought if I got hurt or if I got injured that they would take care of me, you know, I thought I was a fucking hero. You know, I thought I'm out here scooping up baby brains off your streets and, when you want to get elected for city council, you're fucking, you love us. But the minute we, we get injured and we need help, um, we become a liability and it's a big lawsuit and it's just, fucking, it's just crazy anyway. So, um, with that said, you know, the, I was always really taken care of by, by my, my brothers and sisters in service and the fire department. So, um, you know, I, I think it started at just a level of, my buddies just like, Hey Maddie, like you're not, what's going on with you? You know what I mean? And then, like I said, associated behaviors, like going out drinking with the guys, you know, not coming home because I'm too hammered and then finding her at the bar and cheating on my wife and just all that stuff. It just, it got me in a lot of trouble at home. And, and, uh, and you know, so that, that just started a lot of problems in my relationship, obviously. And, you know, trying to figure out stuff with my wife at the time. And, and so, and that was just the cycle, you know, I just, all I knew is like, I was a hard charger at work. I had, I loved being at work and I love being with the guys. And, and obviously um, there's a lot of guys that will co-sign your bullshit when you're doing things like that. And um, because it's something that's very common. Um and it's, they're all dissociated behaviors. We know that now, right? It's just really bad coping skills. And it's fun until it's not. And, and uh, but the, where my career took the biggest turn was that I injured my back and it was a cumulative back injury. So, um, so I would go to the city doc, he'd give me a cortisone shot and send me back to work. And then, and I didn't want to be on modified duty. You know, I wanted to be on the rig with my guys. So, so that thing was just a band-aid and, and really where everything for me came to a head was uh, I went through a gnarly divorce, um, kind of lost everything in that, tried to rebuild myself a little bit. And then the back injury, just like, I just couldn't get out of bed one day at work, like literally like could not get out of bed. And, and when you talk about the chemical dumps that our brains dump when we're on duty, like cortisol, adrenaline, melatonin, things like that, like. I would, my back would hurt at work, but I would be able to like manage uh, my shift. And then I'd get home and be wrecked. Like after those chemicals left my body, I'd be like in so much pain, like crawling to the bathroom, like literally pissing myself. It was that bad. And, uh, and I just kept getting these cortisone shots until I just couldn't get out of bed one day. And, and they finally sent me to a specialist and, and that's when things are really bad. You know, I, I, if I would have, and I said this a lot over the years, but if I would have been like fell through a roof and hurt my back or gotten hit by a car on a call or, you know, getting injured, like doing some hero shit, that's one thing, but a cumulative back injury that you can't get out of bed, you know, and, and previously like stop cutting yourself off from the guys cause you can't work out and you can't be involved and you're just in pain all the time. That's just not a, it's not sexy, <laughs> you know? And so, uh, so I just, you know, waiting, um, my, my alcohol and drug abuse got really bad during that time when I was off work. And, and this is when I started realizing that 
the, the, when you're laid up and you can't, you're not connected from your guys, you're not, you're not working, you're laid up, you're in pain. You start noticing how crazy your mind is, you know? And at the time I just thought I was going crazy. I didn't understand that I was brain injured, that I also had untreated TBI and that, um, that I had PTS and, and now I'm laid up and I can't shut this thing off. Right. And it's just lying to me. If you can't do this job, Maddie, what are you going to do? How are you going to pay your child support? How, you know, da, 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 you're a piece of shit. You don't know how to do anything else. Da, da, da. And then that's when the ideation started like really bad for me. And, um, and I just, I couldn't get away from the thoughts of, of taking myself out, you know? And I, I really, I heard an amazing um, suicide prevention class from Doc Springer. It's probably the best one I have ever heard. And um, she's written a couple books. And basically she, she said, it struck me so much, that as war fighters and first responders, we, our job is to eliminate the threat. And when we ourselves become the threat to our families and we get into this trance where we just, you know, eliminating ourselves became, becomes an option and it's not really a selfish thing. And I hate when people say, oh, this guy just took his own life fucking self. Like, that's such bullshit, you know, because I've been there. I've been in that trance and it's just, when I heard it put that way, I was like, fuck, man, because most of us end up bitter and angry and, and, uh, and so, man, I just, you know, I tried to take an insurance policy out of myself and didn't pass the drug test. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> you know, rejection is God's protection. And so, yeah, that's where I, I found myself. And, and, um, and I had a pretty significant, um, suicide attempt, death by cop and ended up finally seeing a therapist from a culturally competent therapist. Uh, her name's Shauna Hill. I don't see her anymore, but she's a really dear friend of mine and a colleague. And we, you know, we do a lot of stuff together, a lot of, a lot of work together in the space. And, and, uh, she's like, yeah, you might want to check out this five and a half day program called Save a Warrior. They're combat veterans. They take first responders. And and uh, in the, the night I tried to take myself out, that, that like a cop, I actually got a DUI. And uh, so uh, I was off on the back entry. I was, I'd lost everything and, and I just wanted to die every day. And this was like the glimmer of hope, you know, this program. And, and so I, uh, I filled out the application and, and, uh, I got a call from a gentleman that's LAPD officer and retired, uh, from the army. And his name is Brian Haggerty and he was my Eskimo, man. He was one of my Eskimos. And he was just, I had a, uh, call with him. That was about a two hour long call. And he said things to me that I had not heard. Like I've been EAP. I've been here. The department tried to help me therapists that didn't understand, you know, I just, I, I just never heard someone say, Hey, Maddie, everything you're experiencing and going through is totally normal. Like for, for what you've experienced in your life and on the job, everything you're experiencing right now is normal. What was the gravity of that? When you're actually, when you're actually connecting with somebody and, you know, I know you're not thinking of those words, but that's validation normalization, empowerment, you know, are those words resonating with you at all? I mean, those, those are, what'd that feel like? I just, you know, just the validation alone, like, I, oh, I'm, 
I'm not crazy. Like I'm not like I'm, I'm still part of, you know, I'm still part of the tribe, but there's this, this is a guy who is, who's part of my tribe. Who's telling me that this is normal. I just, I've never heard it, you know, because I felt isolated from the tribe. You know, I felt removed. I felt alone, you know, in, in between my ears, just living in the shame, just all shame. And he just, in a couple sentences, just took like, showed some empathy to that shame which is the it's the cure you know the the cure to shame is empathy man brian showed me some empathy and and i love there's nothing better than carrying that message to someone who's in that same spot and there are plenty of us out there i had a conversation with a law enforcement officer three nights ago where i where we talked about that same exact thing and talked to him the next day and he's like dude he's like thank you like i you know, it's like, dude, I just, some really good men came back for me and I'm just, I'm just paying it forward. And there, I don't care how many bitching bad guys you caught and how many awesome fires you've been on. There's nothing better than helping a guy who's struggling and then watching that person help somebody else. That's been my drug of choice for the last seven years. That's uh, that's next level hero shit there. So you're, you're in this mindset of I'm broken. You're in this mindset of, uh, I'm, I'm unrepairable. I'm, I'm, uh, so toxic that I need to remove myself from my family via removing myself of this planet. Um, and then you're going to save a warrior. What, what walk us through a little bit of what happens like you're that changed your life. I know, I know that's about you that impacted your life so well, what, Get, get us a little bit of detail as to what that, what happened? What, what was the, what was the unique magic sauce that, that really started turning Maddie around? Well, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. And had I known, I probably wouldn't have gone. <laughs> because um, after that conversation with Brian, he, he actually drove from Santa Clarita to Laguna Beach where I was living at the time to teach me how to meditate. And like, I'm like this, I don't know this guy. I just had this conversation with him. He's going to take a two and three hour drive in traffic one way to teach me how to meditate. And I'm like, eh, meditation. Like, uh, like, uh, that's kind of granola. And fucking, you know, and so he came down and we had lunch and, and he taught me this meditation technique and, and, and he's like, read these couple books and just try and do this every day. Just promise you'll just do me a favor. Like, don't make any permanent decisions for a temporary problem. Get up every morning, make your bed, and don't get back in it until you uh, until you go to bed at night. And that was very hard because I spent all day in bed, like just depressed, you know. And and I just I trusted him, and I so I show up um, when uh, my cohort 2017. It was Mother's Day, May 2017, and uh, there's all these guys that had been through the program that are like hugging and they're happy and they're just like talking about sobriety and this and that. And man, you guys are so lucky you're here. And and then there's this 13 of us that are just looking at each other. Like, what the, like, what the fuck is this all about? Like I, and you know, a Marine with a thousand yard stare, you know, I was like, fuck, keep that guy away from me. He's like, he's going to kill me. And who, by the way, ended up, being my roommate 
and Save a Warrior and is now one of the loves of my life to this day. And I just like when I think about him and the stuff that him and I have been through like since then, like I'm going to his daughter's graduation party you know, next weekend. And he's like, uh, when I struggle to this day, cause I still do, you know, it's not all rainbows and fucking unicorns. Like Jay will hold space for me. And, uh, so like I said, we show up and they say, listen, it's, you know, they give us this, like, um, the first three hours is essentially the, the whole five and a half days in a nutshell. A lot of it is, uh, over my head. And I just, you know, but some things like stuck, it was like, they explained in a certain way that how we all ended up in the seat. And what they said was, it's not what happened in Afghanistan. It's not what happened in Iraq. It's not what happened on the mean streets of Anaheim. It's what's what happened before you were 10 years old. And I was like, what? And basically after they laid all this stuff out for them, like, we're not going to tell war stories. We're going to be kind to each other. You're not going to fuck with each other. Um, you know, they took all those tools away from us that we use and, you know, to, to cope. We're not, there's, you know, we're not joking with each other. We're, we're here to do some work and, um, and this is how it's going to go down, you know, and we're going to meditate every day and twice a day for 20 minutes and, and, uh, it's going to be scary, but you'll get some relief, you know, and it's, you know, this relief is going to be temporary because it's going to lead you to the pain of the cure. And uh, I didn't know what any of that meant. And it's different for everybody, right? So the next day we sit around in a circle and they go, you got six minutes to talk about what happened to you before your 18th birthday. And the stuff that you said you're going to take to your grave is the shit that's killing you. And the shepherd shared his childhood trauma and we all went around the room. And I said, we all shared stuff that, like I said, I, 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 I talked about being sexually abused as a kid, being physically abused, emotionally abused. And all in six minutes and, and, uh, and then we like, like drew mandalas and a lot of it was experiential. I don't really know. I I'm kind of far removed from the program now, so I know it's a lot different, but there was a lot of experiential stuff. So, um, after that, like equine therapy, which is super like effective for me, like, you know, I wasn't able to cry for a long time. I got the shit beat out of me as a kid. Like men don't cry suck it up don't cry and, and so it was like to, when that happens to you as a kid to actually break down and have a really good ugly face fucking cry is it's really scary it's scary it's you know you feel like it's so foreign you know so i remember just bawling my eyes out on this horse you know and and then slowly like getting that stuff off my chest and connecting with these other men um and uh, we did like a high ropes course and we just, just learning how to trust men. You know, I was abused by men and a lot of us were. It's like build these bonds and have this trust and then, and then get some of the shameful shit off my chest. And like, that's what it was all about. And, and then coming, turning the corner at the end and having these bonds with these guys and leaving in five and a half days, like I had five years of psychotherapy, <laughs> you know, because we got right down to it. And, uh, and then, you know, I, I had to address the drugs and alcohol and that took me another, you know, this, I remember this, my buddy, Sean took a one-year chip at our cohort. He was one of my shepherds. And I was like, 
fucking AA, like, or 12 steps, sorry. Uh, uh, that's not for me, man. That's for bums and dirty alcoholics in the street, people I pick up and take to the hospital. Like, that's not for me. And so, it, you know, it took a couple, it took a couple nights of, of uh, experimentation with that stuff that I realized uh, after fe feeling what it was like to be in my body and meditate and actually feel calm and, you know, a day at a time, like just do the next indicated step, which I didn't know any of the stuff was program stuff. And, you know, I walked in the rooms of recovery and uh, in 2017 and, and it's been a journey ever since, you know, it's been a journey ever since. And, and uh, I was able to get back to work after that. I thought I'd never go back to work. And, you know, I just, with the help of, of uh, my, my, my friends in recovery and, and working the 12 steps and, and, uh, and then going back to Shepherd at Save a Warrior. I mean, that really, that really was like, that was the best three and a half years of my life. So good. Like, like understanding the, the content and, doing my own work and then, and then carrying the message to the guys who showed up on day zero, the, the way I showed up. Um, I, I, like I said, there's nothing better, nothing better than like, and I'm talking like just hugging it out and just bawling, weeping on each other. Like, it's just, it wasn't something that I was used to. And I was able to, to take some of the things I learned there and, and apply them to my own life and my own relationships. And I have a lot of really good relationships with the folks that I met in that program you know, to this day. So, so we, we, we talk a lot on here about the uh, uh, different recovery programs and, and uh, you know, uh, understanding, taking into account the 11th tradition, right. not to speak openly of AA. And, and, and we've acknowledged that we've tipped our hat at that. Matter of fact, we spent uh, one of our podcasts specifically on, uh, you know, talking about that. And it's a, it's a, you know, it's a difficult balance, but to that, to that point, which, you know, we're, we're Austin and I both share your, share your path and pursuit there. Um, let's, let's talk about going in those rooms. Uh, because I know I, all I know is a cop perspective uh, and, and it was hard. It was hard to walk in there, uh, because there was a same, it was a very similar philosophical viewpoint of these are bums and probably bums that I've taken to jail but the, the full on looking in the mirror and say, okay, I'm, I'm one of those bums now. And, and what, what's the, what's a firefighter perspective of walking in those rooms? Cause I don't, I don't know. I, I know a, a law enforcement perspective. Uh, was it, was it similarly difficult? Uh, I think so. I think, um, yeah, absolutely. I think we put, we put up the same walls, whether we're, you know, depending on the superman. You right? don't know me. Yeah, these fucking. Right. Like, don't you know who yep. I think I am? Like, it's a, an alcoholic firefighter with a god complex. <laughs> you, you know, we're just wearing different Superman suits. You know, so yeah. But so I went to, you know, I'm special and unique, right? So I went to a double secret meeting that's just for law enforcement and firefighters, and um, and I started there. Well, I started. At, a place that was local because I didn't have a driver's license. So, and I got, had to get a ride to this double secret meeting. So with that said, you know, I, I really, I listened to them tell me like, look, look, this is where the, this is where recovery is for you, you know, um, right now. And I was excited to get started, but I was so scared 
and I'll tell you, you know, my, my first experience, I walked into this uh, room and it was a preschool at a Lutheran church. This is where this meeting was held. And I had a guy stand up, you know, stick his hand out to me, hand me a book and said, you're welcome. Here's your seat. Man. And I was like, okay. And when they passed around a hat for the seven tradition, it was a little plastic fire helmet. <laughs> and I was like, it was such a God shot. I love telling that story because it was like, okay, you're right where you need to be. And, and, uh, and the God thing wasn't hard for me because I had a relationship. I just, but when they told me it was like a relationship of the God of my understanding. And until I got back to the Christian faith, you know, I, I just, the universe or whatever you know and that was a sign you know so um yeah i was a little you know standoffish at first i'm like what is this thing and who are these people and are, do they are they really what do they want from me and you know and so um i was able to look for the similarities and then i just I, you know i found my people in newport beach where it's just like high bottom you know professionals and i was able to kind of to open up and so you know, I don't go to the double secret meeting anymore. Um, it, you know, I did my first year, but yeah, I had, I had a lot of those same things, but it, really it's just, I was like, I had to concede to my innermost self that I'm an alcoholic and that's what these people are too. And, and when we're in that room, that's all we are. We're not firemen. We're not cops. We're not lawyers. We're not doctors. We're just alcoholics trying to get well, you know? And, and, uh, and it didn't, it didn't take long for me to, to see that. And, um, you know, and it worked, you know, it worked that what they were saying, what they were telling me, the suggestions they were telling me that I was taking and were working. I'm like, I'm, I'm hopeless. You know, I, there's no way I'm, this is just how I am. There's no way I'm getting out of this hole. No way. Love it, man. That's, that's what it's about you. But Here's where I want to go with this a little bit is, you know, you're talking, this was 2017 ish. So we're, we're 2023 now. What is working for you today? Because a lot of people will talk about what works at the beginning, right? And then, you know, there's a gradual change as life continues and things come up and PTS, you know, hits you in the face one day, three years in and, you know, those kind of things. So, so what is working for you today that you could tell someone else in the same spot? You know, um, that stuff did happen to me, you know, it worked for a while and then my symptoms got really bad and I ended up, um, going out, you know, and, and because I could just couldn't, I couldn't get in front of my PTS symptoms. And I, I, as much as I, you know, was doing all the stuff and teaching it and everything, I just, I had a really hard time um, focusing on what I needed to do. And I just, you know, I started shaming myself for not being able to, and then I just shut down again, you know, and it got me. And, um, and so I would say what's working today because I have it, I don't got this, but today, um, I, my recovery comes first before anything else. You know, and that's, and that's one of the things I, you know, it started, I started working in recovery. Um, when I got home at night, I didn't want to talk to any more alcoholics. I didn't want to work, you know, I'm like, oh, this, so work became my program and, 
Yeah, not just one thing. And then the trauma of work and COVID and I'm back on a rig. I'm out of Disneyland and I'm cutting dead people out of cars again. And, and you know, I'm working a ton and and it could it could happen really quick. So I, you know, they say, uh, you know, the program's simple, not easy. Just keep it simple. And, and that's what I do today. I just, you know, I have a routine and being that I'm retired, it helps a lot, you know, because I'm not exposed to the trauma anymore. Um, so that, that does help a lot. And I can, you know, I have a routine every day. I get up, I read my devotional, I hit my knees, I say my prayers, I do my meditation, and I drive to a meeting every single day, like without question. And I, I do that, I fellowship a little bit, and then I do some work, and um, I spend time with my family, I help a couple people, you know, I work the steps, and I just made an amends yesterday. I'm, you know, God, God willing. And I'm, you know, I'm everyone on my list is done for now. And uh, I'm sure more will be revealed as I move my way through this, but I just worked the program and I, and I put it first. I put God first. Um, I'm of service. I just, I just do everything they tell me to do. And then on the, on the other side of it, right. Because of the PTS and the brain injury, I do all that stuff too. So I, I see my therapist on the regular, um, I'm unpacking calls and I was really afraid to do that for a long time, but now I'm retired. Like I'm, I'm not so afraid to unpack the calls. Um, I, I do, I've had a couple other treatments done that we could talk about that are, that have been really, um, impactful and helpful for me. Um, uh, you know, I just, I really put my recovery first. You know, so that's what's working for me today. And, and it doesn't mean like, like I said, it doesn't mean it's all, it's all good all the time. I, I still struggle, um, but I have the tools and I know where to go, you know, and it's just unwavering. It's just because it's life is so good. You know, it could get really bad really quickly if I don't stay diligent. So heart. what are those other treatments? Because I'm a firm believer, man, there's no one size fits all. Right. Like you're talking about different facets for your life that are working. So you're, you're handling your PTS symptoms. You're, you're handling your sobriety. You're doing AA. You're doing those things. What are some of those things that someone who may not be willing to do those immediately might be able to go look at? Yeah. So, um, you know, just a, a little backstory too, so I could put things in perspective. Um, so, you know, all those things, all those great things were happening and I was doing all this work and, and then, you know, like I said, COVID, um, and all that stuff happened and I had a relapse and I couldn't get a grasp on it again for a little while. So I, I spent, uh, 30 days in treatment, um, did some IOP, had a really significant suicide attempt, um, that put that, and then I went to a psych ward for six days. And, and now this is a guy who's out teaching this stuff, right? Doing all these great things. And this is how fast this can happen if you don't stay in front of it. And, and a bunch of trauma got brought up through some relationships that I had lost. And um, so out of the psych ward, I went back to treatment for 45 days and then locked myself in my apartment for three months. So that's where I was at. Um, decided to retire medically. I'm going through a workers' comp case with the city, um, just all that. <clears throat> and um, so I have a, I'm, 
this uh, documentary filmmaker asked me to uh, to be in his documentary, and he asked me when I was like at the top of my game. And it's called PTSD 911 movie, and, and so I thought, yeah, I'll do this. It's great, you know. And, and so all the th- out of all the things I was doing at the time, um, I got cut off from all of it, and um, and I called him to tell him what had happened, and he said, "Man, I thought you were going to call me and tell me that." You didn't want to be in the film anymore. You know, he's like, this is your story. And this is, and I have so much respect for this guy. His name's Conrad Weaver. He's just, he's a, he's such, he's such a good man. And his mission and his, his, uh, he's just, he's riding his bike across the country right now, showing the film. You know what I mean? Like he just loves first responders and, and he's dedicated a, like long five years of his life to, to helping us. Right. So, um, so he calls me and, and, uh, He's like, look, I, I talked to some folks from the Amen Clinic, and they are going to scholarship somebody. Um, now, mind you, too, I, you know, side note, uh, the medical model is great for some things, but when it comes to the whole work, workers' comp algorithm, it's kind of fucking bullshit. And so the, really the stuff that's really working for us is not covered by insurance, and um, it, it's, it needs, you need to get better at that. And I'm working on that with my own personal stuff to help first responder so so he calls me he's like hey the folks from the aim and clinic and i had to, done some work with them i had talked to them before and they're like they're gonna do the spec scans for you and do the whole biopsych social for you for for you know for free um through the foundation and and i'm like like it just again hopeless helpless all that stuff locked in my house not leaving and um like nonprofits bringing me food um working dogs for warriors who have my dog axel rose through and and the benevolent paying my bills and and um so i'm like okay they're like you got but you got to drive down you do the whole biopsych social was really hard for me because i because at the height of my pts you know it's like it's a brain injury so trying to like fill out paperwork and like do this stuff and do all these questions i mean it took me a little while but but i went through the biopsych social and then i and there, it's, I got my car. I hadn't driven for three months. I got my car and I drove to the Amy clinics and had the spec scans done. And, um, and then I did, I did the two and then I went back and did the evaluation with Dr. Faber. And when they showed me the parts of my brain, um, that were injured and I could physically see it on a spec scan, it like, Again, there's the spark of hope. Like they're like, okay, this is your basal ganglia. It's not really supposed to be this lit up with blood flow. You have TBI in your prefrontal cortex, which was, you know, like okay. And what I know about brain, like uh, physiology, physiology and stuff like that, I'm like, okay, like no wonder why I'm impulsive and right. So, and a lot of us have untreated TBI. So, um, so I, I was, I was like pumped i was excited and and then i got introduced to another foundation and which flew my wife and i out to chicago to get the sgb treatment which is the stella ganglion block and it's an epidural through the front of your neck into your basal ganglia which is the it's the bundle of nerves that kicks off the fight or flight process in your brain and, um, and I had heard about it before, but I was like, ah, you know, I was like, oh, I could just meditate and 
I really tried to do everything holistically, organically, without meds and stuff like that. And um, but it, at that point in time, I was like, I could see it. They're like, this would be beneficial. You should probably try it. Um, uh, you know, I got on a plane with my wife and flew to Chicago, uh, coming out of my freaking skin, dude. <laughs> like literally being locked in my house for for three months, and then getting on a plane and going to Chicago, like a city. And you know, thank God for my service dog Axel. He really helped me through that time. And so we get there. Um, I show up there the next morning. I had to put me under because I don't want to see a needle come towards my neck. I was already hypervigilant, nervous, and anxious enough. And I woke up from that treatment um, just wailing. I was crying. like, And I looked over at the nurse, and I'm like, is this normal? And she's like, it's so normal, honey. And I don't know how else to explain it other than like grief and gratitude all at once. And, um, and this is my experience, right? And they've been doing this treatment on guys on the teams prophylactically to, you know, in between missions and military for a long time. And, and um, but I, after uh, they look for some like facial droop and your eye gets red a little bit because they know they hit the right spot kind of thing. But after those symptoms, wear off like I walked out into the city of Chicago I don't even feel I don't think I because of my childhood trauma I have complex PTSD I don't think I ever felt like that in my whole entire life like colors were brighter and like I was present and like there, there was like tulips growing in the city because it was like springtime and I'm like my, my wife is like a butterfly and she's stopping everywhere to take photos and I'm like isn't this beautiful and that beautiful how many of our faculties are wasted on hypervigilance when we when we have post-traumatic stress? You don't realize it until that reset button gets hit. And it was because my PTS was so extreme. The flip side of that is that I was like immediately like, wow. Um, and so I spent that I got the other side done the next day. My wife also had the treatment done uh, because of her stuff and then secondary trauma because of me and the shit that I put her through. Um, we, we had the, the best time out there, like interacting with people. My, my, my nature in itself is to be interactive. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm uh, an extrovert and I like talking to people and I like, and I just felt like that was robbed of that with this this anxiety and this fear that everybody's a dirt bag and everybody's out to get me and something bad's going to happen and all that shit that happens when we're brain injured. And, and, uh, it just, for a short period of time, uh, it, it went away, you know, and I was like, oh, I, I was like, I want to hold on to this and how long is it going to last? And so they said, look, it's an, in addition to, it's not, it's not the miracle. You know, like you said, not one thing work, not one thing works for everybody. And when it comes to PTS and brain injury and all that stuff, there's just, there's a lot of things that, that need to be done. So, um, so I just, I started really digging into my therapy. I, I got back, like I couldn't even go to into the rooms during that time because I'd fall apart and it was, it was distracting to the people in the rooms because of the trauma. And, uh, so I got back in the rooms, I got back to work. I got, you know, I got a new sponsor. I started working the steps like, um, and I just found that my emotions were appropriate you know, I just like, I was emotionally appropriate. I wasn't over the top with anything. I was 
way more calm. And so, um, uh, after that, I just, I feel like, um, everything just started kind of just like, I really was able to work uh, my program better and, and work on, you know, all the other things. And I started doing, uh, uh, hyperbaric treatment for my TBI, you know, again, something that I really don't think the medical model pays for yet, but it's like, you know, it works. And, and so, um, I was able to go to a Stella center down here in Irvine and, you know, and, and get the, hyperbaric and I'm still working on that and there's you know there's neurofeedback and there's there's all these all these modalities that that work you know that um uh but we so that's you know and the, the little story that to go along with that is that uh um I like to, like I said my wife and I were, were not on birth control for 10 years and it's not like we weren't trying um and so we we uh we get home and you know a couple months go by and turns out my wife's pregnant. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, baby Jordan's here. Um, she was conceived in Chicago. The doctors think that Stella shot settled our nervous system down enough to conceive, which makes sense. So I called Doc Springer and I was like, "Hey, you might want to put this in your study of this thing, but because it makes sense, you know, how many first responders out there are, are, are under stress, so much stress that." they're doing in vitro and they're spending all this money on this stuff. And this is, this might be something that they can just, you know, do. So, so I have a little, uh, uh, retirement gift. Her name's Jordan Anderson and Mia Fiorenza and she's amazing. And it's a whole different experience, you know, being a dad now, as opposed to when I was 25 and my life's come full circle and now I can just you know go off and, you know, like I said, not all rainbows and unicorns, but I'm much more calm and my creativity is back and where my creat creativity shows up is in helping first responders manage this stuff and passing on the message. Man, I got to tell you, the, the doing that over again uh, looks good on you, bro. It does. <laughs> it does. So kind of kind of wrapping this up, Maddie, uh, man, this has been awesome. Um, you've been you've been in this this. Um, in this community, specifically this wellness community. And, and that's one of the things that, you know, just for the listeners, there's a lot of things that uh, you and I share uh, in this, uh, which teaching it and then doing it on the backside and, and failing and falling and uh, maybe on some levels abandoned. I mean, we, we, we've, we've, there's a lot of similarities to our story. And I think that's, what's, what's part of our friendship here and our connection, but uh, you there's a lot of wisdom. And, and that you've gained through the course of these, this journey, um, kind of, kind of closing us out here, speaking to firefighters, but also to the first responders and maybe even the, the people, uh, who are, you know, challenging themselves to be culturally competent, these listeners out here, uh, what, what kind of wisdom would you give them as to, uh, you know, how to keep, what does it take to keep yourself, uh, healthy what does it take what 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 would you pass on uh to to the listeners to say hey man here's how to stay in here here's how to stay in the stay stay on the x i would say just you know don't give up on yourself don't give up on yourself and be gentle with yourself it's, you know this is really difficult you know get a community of practice around you find some road dogs that you can that you know will, will hold you accountable and 
and not co-sign your bullshit and but at the same time won't shame you and will just love on you you know like find your people and you know build a community around that and you know if one thing's not working just don't throw your hands up and say fuck it like just try something else you know and and there's just there's so much good information out there you know and i'm i'm always down to take a phone call talk to somebody like share my experience you know talk about what's out there um what's working for some what's not working and but i just you know don't do it alone we don't have to do it alone you know find your people i've got some really good men in my life that that just you know they don't shame me they don't judge me you know and there there are people out there and then you know you got to give it away to keep it so i would say once once you find your niche and you start feeling a little bit better then go find someone that's where you were at and help them out. You know, I'm glad you brought that up. If, uh, if somebody wants to reach out to you with your permission, is that okay? If they, cause you, you made mention, uh, how, how do they find you? If they want to, if they want to look up, uh, Matty Fiorenza, how do they find you? So I, you know, my Instagram is just Matthew Fiorenza. I mean, uh, Matty Fiorenza is my Instagram. I also have, uh, fireman Matty. It's fireman underscore Matty is my, those are my Instagrams. And then Matthew Fiorenza on Facebook, like, you find me on LinkedIn. Um, yeah, hit me up, send me a message. Uh, you know, I, um, doing, I'm back in the recovery space now. I'm working and helping develop a program that's up and running out in Cathedral City called Recovery First. Um, I'm really excited about uh, what we're doing over there. I think um, we're keeping we're keeping it small. I really, I went to treatment um, up in Santa Clarita, and it was there were six beds. And I'm, we were texting, the guys I went to treatment with, we were texting this morning, you know, and I think there's something to, to the smaller mom and pop kind of places that are just, are not looking at, you know, becoming some big giant. They're really putting a lot of effort into specifically treating first responders. And, and that's what this place does. And I'm, I'm excited to get back in and just really, you know, these are my peeps, man. You know, so uh, if you look at the recovery first, if you're looking for inpatient treatment, co-occurring, you know, post-traumatic stress, and and and, and I'm a plethora of, of other um, organizations, and and uh, yeah, and if you know, here's the other thing too. I want to put this out here. If you are a first responder and you have been through some shit, and you are looking to, if you're retired or you're looking for some you know, if you've gotten on the other, on the other side of something and you're working a program of some sort, whatever that looks like, or if you're in recovery, like, um, and you want to reach out to me, I'm, you know, I'm always looking for people to come, to come out to California and, and to work with some of these folks, you know, there's, these are the most culturally competent people, in my opinion. It's not the guy that went to school and, you know, did a couple ride-alongs. It's the guy who's been through it, who's done the job, who got on the other side of it and has, has something to, to share, you know, and it's, and it's continued to work. And, and so hit me up if you're that person, you know, in anything, you know, everything's, some of us struggle with porn addiction. Some of us struggle with gambling addiction. Some of us struggle with, you know, just trauma. Some struggle with, there's all kinds of struggles and there's a lot of first responders out there that have gotten on the other side of it. And, and I get, you know, guys call all the time. Hey, Maddie, how do I do what you're doing? I'm like, I happen organically. I don't know. I just, I got well and I put myself out there to help the next person and here I got good at speaking to stuff and it's mostly because I've done my own work, you know? So 
um, hit me up if you're if you're looking to, to do anything like that. And I'm always looking for people to to put out there. Um, I also work uh, with Tina Gallivan and Associates. We are, um, we have the Ultimate Wellness Program. Uh, Ultimate Wellness Program. Uh, T U W P dot com or yeah dot dot org. I believe I should know that. And um, so we build wellness programs for first responder agencies and also uh, offer um, uh, psychological services for uh, first responder agencies. And, and that's, you know, my passion is just the full gamut, right? From building wellness programs and helping peer support teams and helping, helping departments build algorithms into their, into their uh, department policy on how to get somebody help in crisis and how to support them and support their job. And uh, me and my partner, Gabe Lira from the Hawthorne PD Police Department, um, him and I are just, we put on regional peer support trainings. Um, I'm doing a training here uh, with Dr. Uh, Shauna Hill in uh, Irvine, California coming up in September on how to support your people that are in recovery. Because I hear a lot of horror stories and just like, I think we need to go deeper with our with our peer supporters and with with uh, trainings for our peer support, they just we need to teach them a little bit more than hey, this is PTS, this is how it shows up, and you know, uh, you know, ref, uh, just you know, talk to them and refer them. It's like no, like let's. Do you want to really get to the nitty gritty and, and find out what's going on with these folks and be able to better help them? So, so that's what that it's all about. It's the ultimate wellness program. Help for fire. Help for fire is our fire website and. Um, and then the nonprofit I'm working on, I just, I'm going to keep that a secret for now until it gets up and running. But I'm definitely going to need some folks there. We're just going to get people well. You know, we're going to we're going to do better at this as a as a as a culture and as a community. And and we're going to get guys off into retirement, just enjoying retirement and being healthy and not ending up in a treatment center because we're sitting on the couch all stressed out and yelling at the wife too much. You know, drinking too much. It's just I want let's let's bankrupt the uh, the retirement systems by keeping us alive for a long time. Maddie, it's been uh, it's been a pleasure having you on, and uh, there's there's a lot of information there. Thank you for sharing that, and thank you for sharing your time today, uh, and and really being vulnerable and showing us uh, who Maddie Fiorenzi is. We know it's going to help a lot of folks out there. So uh, uh, appreciate you, brother. Love you. Chateau Recovery is a 16-bed treatment facility nestled in the foothills of the Wasatch Mountains in Midway, Utah. Chateau's First Responder Resiliency Program is designed to treat the unique challenges and issues that first responders encounter in the course of their careers. Chateau's comprehensive and highly individualized approach to treatment addresses more than just the presenting issues. It addresses the why. Each of their seasoned, trauma-trained, and culturally competent therapists utilize evidence-based, specialized therapies to treat trauma at its core and enable clients to begin the healing process while developing a resilient and healthy relationship with stress. Chateau Recovery is trusted by departments and agencies from around the country to treat responders and veterans. In fact, it is one of only a handful of facilities nationwide that is vetted and approved to treat members of the Fraternal Order of Police. For more information or to speak to a representative, go to chateaurecovery.com or call 888-507-5031. No One Fights Alone is also sponsored by First Responder Trauma Counselors. 
First responder trauma counselors are subject matter experts in proactive behavioral health care for frontline workers through their National Peer Support Academy. This 40-hour all-badges, all-uniforms, and all-scrubs educational experience helps to create caring, honest, and empathetic peer support relationships with your fellow frontline workers. The FRTC National Peer Support Academy is taught by actual first responders who have gone back to school to become culturally competent, licensed behavioral health clinicians that teach from lived experiences, not just theories from books. This fast-paced, immersive educational academy will not just change your life, it will help you save the lives of others. For additional details, visit 991overwatch.org or call 970-2224-19-3. This could be the most life-changing academy you'll ever attend.